0: You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Marvelous Edition. Hey, my name is Nathan Oberson. I'm your humble and obedient host. We've got Pastor Jacob Mensel over there. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing well. How are you, Nathan? I'm doing fantastic. We are here with a timely hot take Yes, very timely. <laughs> on the film of Spider-Man, Far From Home.
1: Spider-Man, Far From Home.
0: Let's get right into it, far shall we? Far from the release date. Far from the, yes. Spider-Man, far from anyone's interest. No, no, no. No,
1: people are still caring
0: about People that. care about this movie. People care about the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We care about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And most of all, they Cinematic care about universe. our take on it. And most of all, they care about, there's probably people that went and saw the movie just so they could hear, hear, our, thoughts? hear our thoughts on the film. Or
1: people who have been waiting to hear our thoughts before they went to see the film.
0: Yeah, well, you're about to hear them starting now. Here we go. Spider-Man: Far From Home. Now, Jake, I dare say people have heard us talk about the Marvel verse, the Marvel verse, the MCU before about these films.
1: I'm guessing if they listen to Sanity at the movies, it's probably because we talk about the Marvel Cinematic (laughs) Universe, exactly, or Star Wars.
0: Yeah, or both. One of the two. Our our bread and butter, Star Wars. Star Wars
1: and. Superheroes. Yes.
0: Very creative and adventurous <laughs> film goers. We. <laughs> and unique. <laughs> and unique. Yes. <laughs> Probably the only people that are podcasting on these particular topics. Well, we don't claim to be unique, but we do claim to be the best, right? Absolutely. We claim to be the best. We claim to have the best take on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, on some of the spiritual ishu- issues inherent therein, I think. My mom actually just saw whatchamacallit yesterday. She saw. End game? End game, yeah. Oh. She liked it. She said she was happy that Captain America got, got to, to- be with his girl. Could be with his girl.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people felt that way. Well, you know- My dad felt that way.
0: My mom also, I love my mom, and she's fun to watch movies and stuff. She didn't remember who half the characters were. She may not have remembered some of our reasons for why, why that was a bit of a sellout move at the end.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and for my dad, my dad- Dad's dad is World War Two Korea mm-hmm. generation. I mean, very. I mean, he was the guy that always worked two, three, four jobs and was always sacrificing for everybody else. And I thought, I think it was probably cathartic for my dad to think that it'd be nice for those guys to have something for themselves instead of
0: sure. And and in the moment, that's the thing about these Marvel movies. I think they really reward people with short attention spans. And I know, I know, I'm an elitist. I'm a snob. That's a snobby thing to say. But I really think if you're not tracking with everything they've done the movies work a lot better actually the individual films work a lot better because you don't remember what they did in the last one and they can just change plot points and Tony Stark can suddenly be behaving a different way and Captain America can be behaving and uh, they've they've emphasized not entirely to their depth detriment they've emphasized the individual films oftentimes over big story that they're telling
1: the meta narrative the meta
0: narrative yeah
1: oh man is that the first time we've ever
0: used that word The first of many folks. (laughs) And we are not going to let them off the hook for this meta narrative. Me and Jake hold people responsible for their meta narratives. That's right. That's what we do. That's
1: what we're gonna be attacking today. If we attack anything.
0: That's well, let's talk about it. Spider Man Far From Home. I guess we should say we're both pretty big fans of Spider Man Homecoming, the first Spider Man. One of the
1: one of the top MCU movies.
0: Yeah, I'd say maybe the top.
1: It's one of the best movie movies in the MCU.
0: As a piece of standalone entertainment, it's
1: yeah, it still depends on some emotional cachet from other films, Iron Man in particular, Tony Stark in particular. Yeah, and it doesn't but, hurt if
0: you just know Spider-Man and like these kinds of things, and remember your Tobey Maguire movies, and Uncle Ben, and you know, if you just have the general Spider-Man cachet, then you're going to like it that much better. But it works pretty well as a standalone film, got an absolutely charming performance from Tom Holland as Spider-Man, a nice villainous turn from Michael Keaton. And a plot that actually has a few twists and turns and a mm-hmm. fun little construction for of a screenplay. Yep. And some good humor. Yep. Which is basically everything I just said is the Marvel formula, but that's one of the best exemplars of it, I'd say.
1: Yep. I think the thing to compare Homecoming to with other MCU movies, you've got the Rousseau brother movies mm-hmm. that have their own tone and feel. You've got Spider Man Homecoming, and then you've got the James Gunn. And yep. the Taika Waititi, basically the what happens in space. Yep. You're either going to have Cap and Tony stories, or you have the early John Favreau stuff. Right. Outside of the like the big Avengers movies, the Joss Whedon or the the Russo stuff. Right. But just from like a total coherent movie that also doesn't have gross humor or mean spirited, you know, grossness to it. Homecoming is about as complete and good a Film as you could want in the MCU.
0: That is absolutely true. I I would say probably the best filmmaker in the MCU is James Gunn in terms of his visual style, the way that he writes a screenplay, and yeah,
1: well, it's just his ability to tell a complete whole story.
0: Right. He's not taking narrative shortcuts. He's just a good filmmaker, good storyteller. He's also a perverse man, and
1: well, yeah, and that's why, like with a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy or Guardians of the Galaxy Two, especially like. Guardian, I I would say that Guardians of the Galaxy Two is uh, the humor is gross and the humor isn't there the way it was with the first. Guardians yeah, it's a little hit and miss on the jokes. But in terms of a complete emotionally cathartic, self-contained story, it's probably the best.
0: Yeah, for a franchise of films that deals an awful lot with daddy issues and dads failing and stuff like that. Guardians Volume Two is the one that actually can make me tear up. Can you know oh, yeah. gets at my relationship with my in dad? Terms, yeah, exactly. Stuff. In yeah. terms
1: of an MCU movie that, in and of itself, in a self-contained way, can make you cry, it's
0: thematically it, resonant.
1: Process, process daddy issues, all that, that that sort of thing. It's Guardians Two, but it's all that's also one of the worst movies in the
0: MCU just for the mean-spirited violence, the vulgarity, the sexual in weirdness, window, and, and, and
1: yeah, it's just gross. Yeah, it's like. The, the very last movie in all of the MCU that you would ever want to watch with your kids.
0: And it's all sort of, or a lot of it at least, is needlessly gross. It's like, Yondu's going to wake up with a sex robot. We just decided we needed sex robots in the movie because yeah. why? Drax was
1: funny. Now Drax is crass and talks about genitalia. Thanks for that, guys.
0: Yeah, it's gross. It feels a little groomy, I will say. Like, yeah. James Gunn is the kind of sicko that likes other people to be sickos and wants your kids to all be sickos. So, not necessarily recommending it, but in terms of craftsmanship,
1: it's right up. It's there. right up
0: there. I I I don't know that anything really comes all close in, t- in terms of just being a complete movie to the Guardians movies, but maybe Avengers One, maybe Spider Man Homecoming,
1: Iron Man first time, Iron, Iron the
0: first Iron Man. Although I would say the first Iron Man is wonderful as it is. It's really just kind of a collection of performances and some fun improv and it works it's great i'm not arguing against it i'm just saying is it does it do what a traditionally structured movie does Eh, winter soldier winter soldier would be another one i might argue for infinity war actually i really like now that we kind of have the whole picture i really like infinity Infinity war War a lot better than endgame now spider-man far from home this movie stars tom holland as spider-man He goes on an adventure. He he goes with his classmates. The movie opens with a really cute,
1: fun, funny, little student-made tribute to Iron Man and uh, explanation of what is now called the blip. Yep. The five-year period where some people grew up and other people just uh, weren't there. Yep. And uh, everybody's processing that. And Spider-Man is helping people process all the people that were displaced. They try to, you know, they do a little fun, funny stuff with what happened to all the people who Aunt May, you know, showed up back in her house and or in her apartment and other people were living there and they thought she was a ghost or
0: uh a... suddenly your brother is five years older than you.
1: Yeah, your little brother is now older than you. And the band shows up in the middle of a basketball game. and
0: Right. So they did some really fun stuff with that. And then we move into the story of Spider-Man going, or no, not Spider-Man, Peter Parker going on vacation. Or
1: it's important to say that because one of the fun things to to notice about Spider-Man, what makes him so appealing, is that it's he's Peter Parker who wears the Spider-Man mask. Right? As people are as, upset as opposed over and over to Batman
0: or... who wears a Bruce Wayne mask. Yeah, or, or, Superman, or Superman who wears, who wears a, a Clark, Clark Kent, Kent mask. mask. He, yeah. Right?
1: No, he's he's Peter Parker. In some, way. I mean. Okay, is Tony Stark Iron Man or is Iron Man Tony Stark? Well, they're just one person. Right. Right. I am Iron Man is there is no other persona. I simply
0: at the end of the day, it's the snarky billionaire genius that is the real hero whether he's got his tech or not.
1: Exactly. Now that's what this story is about too.
0: Right. I think if you were to sim- if you wanted to really simplify it, you could say Marvel stories are generally about people and DC stories are about the gods that live among us even batman though he's he's not a alien creature he's not a god of the universe he is a dark twisted psychopathically vengeful vengeful creature of the night who pretends to be a dorky billionaire
1: yeah and who's also a genius above all geniuses right right the thing with batman is that given enough time he already has, the, he, he has basically infinite resources, given enough time, he can figure out how to defeat anybody because he's just that smart. He can right. beat Superman, actually, if he has enough time to
0: do it. Absolutely. But when he's wearing that Batman suit, that's actually, you're seeing who he really is. That's what he, that's that's the real man. It's almost like the mask comes off when he puts the mask on. Like that's yep. That's who Batman is. Now you think about, obviously, the simpler version of that, Superman. He's really Superman. He's this godlike creature from... Krypton. Krypton. And he pretends to be the bumbling reporter that can't get the time of day with Lois Lane That's Superman, right? Marvel, Steve Rogers is a guy and we're following the adventures of Steve Rogers. and He's a
1: twerpy little guy who happened to get picked to get a super soldier serum. And now he's that same guy who has to wrestle with the responsibility that comes with great power
0: right it's steve rogers wrestling with the mantle of captain america it's tony stark wrestling with the mantle of iron man peter parker wrestling
1: with the mantle of superman right and so peter parker uh,
0: yeah (laughs) i'd like to watch that movie (laughs) just read some comics (laughs) watch some movies goes out in the parking lot and cries (laughs) that's a reference to to (laughs) then comes what episode one available now spider-man spider-man yeah yeah Uh, Peter Parker does not pretend to be a bumbling teen to, as a cover for his awesome Spider-Man stuff. He really is a bumbling teen. Trying to figure things out, who, but who also has had this weird thing happen to him and, and all
1: feels guilty about it and feels guilty about other things in his backstory that the MCU
0: chose wisely, I think, not to explore. Yeah, because they'd been explored to death by a few other movies. But, yeah, But the fun thing is Spider-Man, unless my comics knowledge... Deserts me, and I'm not by no means a comics expert, but I want to say the innovation of Stanley in particular, the thing that we have to thank is that he realized that people would be much more interested in stories about people like them than about billionaire psychopaths or gods from another planet. And his great innovation was to say that a Spider-Man story, and I think Spider-Man in particular, was the hero where he kind of perfected this formula. A Spider-Man story is always about Peter Parker. It's never about the villain of the week. It's always about what's Peter Parker going on. And so, the best Spider-Man movies, even before the MCU, I'd say the best one is Spider-Man Two. Spider-Man Two. You remember that that movie? He's desperately in love with MJ. He can't make rent meet. Can't, can't make ends meet. Mr. Jameson is being mean to him at the paper. His powers start to fail simply because Fishies. he's got confidence issues. And that's really what the movie's about. And then he fights Dr. Octopus and all this stuff. I'd say. Same. And
1: even that is like, here's this guy that he loves and respects who's being corrupted. And he's got to deal with that too. It's like, it's about Peter and can Peter overcome these personal issues even with the big villain who's going to destroy the the world. <laughs> like, yeah, but
0: oftentimes he'll have a relationship with the villain. Yeah, the villain will be a father. It's figure. always
1: complicated. Norman Osborn Norman. is always a complicated father figure for Peter. Right, um, and
0: that's how Spider-Man stories work. As opposed to, I am Batman. As an essence, I represent something, and I am fighting the Joker, and he is the essence of chaos. And neither one of us is hardly a human being, but we both. It's like these. I'm sorry to keep saying the word gods. I mean it in the sense of like Greek gods. You know, we both represent these forces of nature. We are the the personification yeah, it's, 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 of these thematic like lo- Loki big versus, things. but not the MCU's Loki. But no, like Loki as trickster versus the, Thor as hero.
1: Yeah, as as cosmic types. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, and,
1: and, and that 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 tap into you know to maybe cosmic realities, but but don't hit nearly as close to home as the 16-year-old boy who's really likes this girl and who also feels like he needs to save the world and has guilt over this and daddy issues about
0: that. Uh, I guess that another way you could say it is that DC movies, DC stories are archetypal and Marvel movies are what personal. They're, yeah. you know, Peter Parker's a specific character. He's not every teenager. He's a specific kind of teenager, one that we can all relate to, of course, and yeah. I'm not saying there aren't archetypal things. And patterns and and da da da, in these movies. But right. basically, they tell down to earth story, relatable human level stories. Yeah. And so, well, and we shouldn't. All of that was
1: parenthetical to you saying Spider Man goes to. Wait, nope. Peter Parker goes yeah, to. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, it's. And then you saying that's an important distinction to make. We should, I should also, by the way, say the other great Spider Man movie. It's on Netflix. Just hit Netflix.
1: Oh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse.
0: Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Maybe.
1: The greatest Spider-Man movie of all time.
0: Yep, and that deals with what it's like for a lot of different types of people to be Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, man, there's a lot to love about that movie. There's, there's not a a more sure win on Netflix right now for you and your and your family. Yep, than to pop Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse if you haven't yet.
0: I agree. I agree. It's so,
1: almost perfect.
0: Yeah, it's pretty close. So long story short, Peter Parker goes on a European vacation. He's super in love with MJ. He wants to ask her out. He wants to get her a trinket. And then what should happen? But mysterious elemental beings should start rampaging across European cities. And a man named Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal from another dimension, should appear to fight them. And Nick Fury should get involved and all kinds of exciting stuff should happen. The exciting stuff, by and large, being the backdrop for a sweet little romance story of Peter wanting to woo MJ yeah. and have a good high school trip. Yeah. We'll get into spoilers in a second. But first of all, generally speaking, did you like Spider-Man Homecoming? Er, um, they, it, I understand it was cute for them to both have home in the title, but man, it's hard for me it to is, get this one's yep. title stuck in my brain. Spider-Man Far From Home.
1: Uh, yeah, it was great. I had a lot of fun watching it. It was funny. I laughed. I cried. Um, had some really sweet moments and did a lot of things right what a fun cast what
0: a it's a wonderful cast charming cast
1: a lot of charm a lot of sweetness a lot of yeah it was just a fun fun movie top to bottom
0: enjoyable yeah. movie and there's one thing that the mcu has done right even in the worst of their movies minus maybe captain marvel it's there's even- always something fun well, I just think the they, I just think they know how to cast. Smart. Yeah, yeah, the cast is always great. I mean, you can argue about like I don't think that they've ever really given Benedict Cumberbatch the right stuff to do yet with Doctor Strange, but
1: having him in the MCU was not by any stretch a bad move.
0: No, it's smart.
1: What they what they what's that guy's name? The villain of Captain Marvel? Oh, Jude you know? Law. Yeah, Jude Law. I I just wished I felt like he was wasted on that movie. I wish they had found a better thing for jude law jude law is great
0: well that's the thing i think is that a lot of times i'll feel like some of these actors are wasted but it's almost always because they've cast them so well and they've got you know they've been willing to spend the money or whatever they needed to do to get but great the people. script
1: or the or the opposing in the case of captain marvel brie right. larson is just a whiff
0: yeah but a interesting whiff actually i mean like You could still, I think I would still even defend it and say, okay, they thought they went for an actress. They didn't go for the biggest Hollywood name that they, now she happens to be a really annoying person and they gave her an annoying, I mean, we could complain about Captain Marvel all day. Well,
1: I probably, what was going through their minds is we need the the corresponding Chris Evans type. But the reality is Chris Evans is a terrible, annoying person
0: Mm -hmm. who worked in spite of himself
1: yeah who worked in spite of himself and they've not been able to do that with brie larson
0: right but they're really good at casting and even captain marvel all the little supporting characters like getting ben mendelson director krennic to play that part and play a reverse good guy was fun you know they 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 they, they have a they're they're smart they're very smart about that kind of stuff and homecoming's got a great cast whatever the guy is that plays his best friend ned is hilarious uh, uh,
1: J- Zendaya Zendaya,
0: is Z- great she's got a lot of uh, what's the word just charisma she's a she's a star charisma
1: and charm that's basically what they've got in that whole cast mm-hmm. like if you want to think and just in terms of who brings real charisma and charm to the MCU before spider-man right it was really just Tony Stark there yeah. was not there was Robert Downey jr not a lot of... Mark Ruffalo has his own little bit of charm. Sure. Rody, Scar, ScarJo. Scar, Scar, sure. Scarjo yeah. has her own
0: kind of charm. Right.
1: You know, some of the supporting cast.
0: Well, when... Chris
1: Hemsworth has his own kind of charm. But I in think... In his limited way.
0: Robert Downey Jr. is not only charming, but he's one of those people that is so charming that he actually makes other people charming. And so I'd say people yeah. like Gwyneth Paltrow or John Favreau, just by being in his gravitational orbit... Are and, that much
1: more alive. Yeah, yeah anybody that's pop. riffing
0: off of... RDJ is yeah. and but they haven't had other bright shining lights like that.
1: Yeah. But when you come to the cast of Spider-Man: Both Homecoming and Far From Home, the combination of Tom Holland and Zendaya and we should have looked up his name, Ned. Ned.
0: Yeah. Probably nobody knows his name and he's going to just be called Ned for the rest of his life. Probably.
1: But it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, they they are, all have their own charm and charisma.
0: There is there is one cast that comes pretty close, which is the Guardians cast. The Guardians cast that is is, a great cast.
1: Yeah, but see, that's where you have to sort of I think separate in your mind what happens in space and what happens on Earth. Absolutely. Because they all have a different tone and tenor. It's they don't harmonize as
0: neatly as No, I mean even your Tony Stark movies were just Tony Stark movies and your Doctor Strange movie. I know he's got his they've all got their sidekicks and hangers on and supporting cast, but they don't they don't all zip off of each other so brightly and with yeah. as much fun as the Spider-Man cast. They're all, they're just really, even their teachers are pretty funny. The
1: teachers are smart. Yeah. That's smart casting and smart writing. Mm-hmm. Just for comic relief and fun drama. And right. I don't know. I, I had teachers like those teachers,
0: so. <laughs> oh, yeah, those, they are my. I mean, they're not that they're not much, that far off
1: th- yeah they're not that big a caricature actually
0: no i don't especially the guy that was in the first are they both is the, are they both the, in the
1: in homecoming or yeah, the the one
0: is the yeah. main
1: teacher is for sure he's in both of them and he has that same sort of
0: like uh, he's the right level of doofus and not like my wife a,
1: pretended to be blipped and right <laughs> <laughs> instead she ran off with a guy on a camping trip right or whatever it was
0: no he reminds me of a lot of teachers that i've had <laughs> actually he's it's just smart
1: oh no perfume allergies super serious let's screw this all up for everybody yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's my duty to protect you
0: yeah, well, it was smart, you know. They could have gone a couple directions. They could have had like just the awful, overbearing authority figure, and I think that would have been annoying. Yeah. Having kind of the—I know you don't like this word—but the the stereotypical hipster, not quite good at being an authority figure, kind of character was 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 sharp on their part. Yeah. What else is there to say? But I think I have some real problems with this movie, but they're all things that we should talk about in the spoiler section, probably because I think they're mostly related to. What happens? What happens? So is there anything else we want to say to people if they're just listening to, they've somehow they've- Okay,
1: well, here's what I would say. It's a fun movie. Yeah. It's an enjoyable movie.
0: I sat there with the incandescent Meredith, my fiance, we both laughed, we both cried. She grabbed my arm in suspense or whatever, multiple times.
1: It taps into the horror genre in a way that lots of MCU movies don't. Mm-hmm. Not that it, there's gore or anything like that, but just in terms of- the way that the main villain of this piece ends up, main villain of this piece, The main villain of this movie ends up working, right, and operating mm-hmm. it is a lot of horror movie style. Some style, stylistically, this movie borrows quite a bit from the horror genre in a way that is kind of new.
0: Yeah, to the MCU. I would say I maybe again, Mr. Gunn and the Guardians. The space stuff, I, I know it's ridiculous. Yeah. Maybe even to keep comparing the space stuff to the Earth stuff, but this movie's not gruesome like the space stuff is, but it, it is similarly uh, genre fluid. So
1: here's one other thing, maybe big picture to just sort of like, in terms of like overarching plot that we can say that I don't think is too spoilery. Mm-hmm. This movie is about Peter Parker dealing with the the demons of Tony Stark. Yeah his own personal demons, and then those demons are externalized for him. Mm-hmm. And can he deal with his own Tony Stark demons? Can he deal with real Tony Stark demons? But it's a very Tony Stark haunted movie from first to last, and that's where your cries will come. And
0: Yeah, the big emotional payoff in the movie, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say. If, if you've seen di- a preview. is directly related to that, and yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. That's that's if, where the movie's the most successful, I Yeah, would say. if you've
1: seen a trailer, all the trailers have a scene in it, where he's crying, talking mm-hmm. to Happy, and that's that, seems, did that scene really well.
0: Is a real tearjerker. The incandescent Meredith cried quite a bit during that scene. she's the same woman that was probably kind of bored through most of Endgame, but it, it's really effective. Shall we talk spoilers? Let's do it. Brrr, spoilers! 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 All right, this movie. Here's a question for you, Jake. Yeah. And I think people will already know what my answer is going to be, given the fact that I said it had some problems. Would you put this in, would you say this is top tier, top shelf
1: Marvel? No, I wouldn't. I was hoping and expecting it would be. I think in terms of on a first watch, there are few Marvel movies that have as many laughs, cries, and payoffs. And so just in terms of like a first watch, sheer enjoyment level. Some people might well be tempted to put it up there, but I don't think it's as complete and as solid of a movie as Homecoming. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, part of it, honestly, I know we're gonna talk I was I agree with what you're gonna say in a minute right. about the big picture stuff that are real setbacks for my ability to to really embrace it. Yeah. But even just like in terms of if you take a movie like Homecoming You've got a villain who's there from the beginning. You know who he is. He's like in like the very first scene of the film. You know what his motivations are and it's kind of, you know, and it's got its complications. But in this movie, it's a, if you know who Mysterio is coming in, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's just a question of how is Mysterio deceiving everybody and what's it going to look like when Peter finds out how deep in the hole is Peter going to be when he finds out. Which uh, mysterio's been playing him and everyone, and so you're waiting for this for those surprises to see how they're done, mm-hmm. or if you have no idea who mysterio is, it's a shocker gotcha, Mysterio is actually a bad guy, right thing. which, that which s- if you've
0: never seen a movie before or read a book or you might be surprised engaged by in it. any kind of narrative entertainment, you might find that to be a, a surprise, yeah,
1: yeah, if you're under the age of twelve, you might be surprised, yeah, you might have to be under the age of eight, yeah. Once those things have kind of been unraveled mm-hmm. on screen, I think just some of the the dramatic tension is lost. And I think it, I haven't seen it a second time, but I don't think it's going to be nearly as fun on a second viewing right? because of that. Because those kinds of movies that hinge on surprises, they just lose. Yeah. And, unless it's like, I mean, I know a lot of people went and saw Sixth Sense over and over again, but that wasn't because... They wanted to be surprised again. They wanted to go back and f- see all the clues. Right. But once that's all been done, that it's done. Like, mm-hmm. Sixth Sense all hangs on that. Right. Those kinds of movies, they hang on that turn. Once that turn's been exposed, all of the dramatic tension is gone because you know the answer. That's what the movie's about. Right. And this movie's... N- for the first two acts, is actually just a, is actually about high school kids and high school drama, and that, I think that's pretty fun.
0: Yeah, most of that stuff's really successful, I would say.
1: Yeah, well, one I think of the greatest successes of it, is in these superhero movies. It always feels inevitable that you know the guy's going to bite the bullet. He's going to do the thing. He's going to. He doesn't really have them that much conflict. They don't even try to play with the idea that he's that conflicted about being the hero. This movie does a really good job of evoking that sense that you have as a teenager of the world's got its problems and those problems may be huge. But to me, I'm so in knots over this girl that the problems of this world feel smaller than that. Like,
0: Yeah, I remember that specifically. This is gonna sound awful, but I think if you're a teenager, you can probably uh, sympathize. When I was a teenager- If you've been a teenager. If you've been a teenager, yeah. So 9-11 happened when I was a teenager. And I remember it putting a real crimp in some social plans that I have. But it was like, darn! I can't go out to eat with such and such.
1: Yeah, and it was annoying, and I was not above being annoyed by the terrorists for ruining being your plans. annoyed by. I mean, which is being annoyed by three thousand people that's which is
0: stupid and selfish and whatever. But it's also the reality of how I felt at that time because nobody's a narcissist like a teenager.
1: Yeah, and I th- I really think that that when you're that age and put it in the most charitable light you possibly can, your hor- hormones are going crazy and everything else and you're figuring yourself out
0: and you're not yet part of the adult world so you feel a certain have perspective amount of impotence yeah yeah
1: yeah you don't have that big you don't have perspective on on these relationships because you've not had the experience of walking through some of that stuff right and yeah you don't feel like you're a part that you you feel that impotence like what can i do about this what can i what am i supposed to do i can't they can't do anything right like i can't it's just the thing that happened out there somewhere. Right. Problems that feel real to me are the problems that are in front of my face, which is I'm in knots about this girl. There's this and cute in, girl, and I don't know if she and likes I wanna, me. And, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. want to, and I've got this elaborate plan to like, I'm going to go to the mall and I'm going to find the perfect thing, and it's right. not going to work. And I'm going to be, my mom's going to be angry because I'm not, not going to be, what you know, whatever.
0: Hashtag Araby. Is that the name of the James Joyce Arabi, story?
1: Yeah. The James Joyce story captures this, that feeling perfectly. Right. And so. I thought it did a good job of just sort of yeah that's that's what a 16-year-old boy is he's going to be handed the most powerful earth defense mechanism to ever exist and he's going to want to use it to keep a compromising picture from being shown to his girlfriend right the girl that he wants to be his girlfriend or he's going to he's going to really just want to rather be at the top of the Eiffel Tower with the girl trying to do the thing instead of saving the the world
0: saving the world. Well, and the thing that the movie does very successfully that I think almost no movies that have this, this particular conflict do well is anytime I watch a movie like this, I'm just like, come on movie. Like, you know, I know the audience knows the filmmakers, know, the actors, everybody knows knows he's going to do, he's going to do it. And I paid good ticket money to see Spider-Man swing around and do Spider-Man stuff. And now, Tom Holland, you know, now Peter Parker is going to keep me from that because he's interested in some girl. You know, I always, it's like a Dark Knight Returns or whatever that, whatever the third Dark Knight movie is where Batman isn't Batman for the first 40 minutes. And it's just like, Batman, stop moping around and give me what I paid for, which is you, Batman. And I know you're going to do it anyway. So just hurry up. How much do I have to put up with of... Of not Batman. Yeah, of the hero. You know, is like some samurai movie where he's decided to be a pacifist. You know, how long will Denzel Washington Just... as the equalizer, how many bad guys will have to rough up how many girls beside, before he'll finally snap in the second half of the movie and kill everybody, which is what I paid my money to see. Right. So, you know, how long before they mess with John Wick's dog? <laughs> Nobody. We're not paying to watch John Wick mourn his wife. That's always the problem. And yet, in this movie, they actually did a nice job of, oh... I think I'd be happy if Peter just got his way and the world problems solved themselves and he got to, we got to see these a nice problems, little John Hughes drama. Yeah,
1: these problems always solve themselves in this universe. Right. They actually don't need this 16-year-old boy. Right. Because there's always somebody who save, there's The world always needs to be saved and there's always somebody to save it. And can't he just be a 16-year-old boy? Because I kind of like him. I kind of feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish that he could just get the girl and have a normal life that's kind of what he really wants kind of what I want for him right like poor kid like there'll be time to save the world when he
0: isn't a 16 year old boy who's an orphan. Which is a weird thing for a movie to actually, you know, it's like, well, I sure am glad that John McClane and Die Hard reunited with his wife and got out of that building before the terrorists attacked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it'd be like that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, if he actually gets what he wants, it kind of defeats the point of the movie. And yet, if they can successfully build the artifice in such a way that I that I buy into it and actually am desiring him not getting.
1: Or at least you're sympathetic with him right. not
0: getting. It. It's just
1: like, you feel the pain. Right. Enough that you, yeah, Peter, I wish
0: you could have that kind of life, too. Well, and I think this movie does such a good job that it's like, I'd watch it. <laughs> the monster gets defeated in act one, and then I watch Peter yeah. woo MJ. Yeah, that's a movie that would be fun to watch. It'd be pretty entertaining, actually. Yeah. Almost, I almost, uh, you, almost wish they'd done that. Right, well, they could have unleashed Daya, mm-hmm.
1: which would have been... A good thing to maybe do?
0: <laughs> well, she's one of the problems. So one of my criticisms of this movie is, uh, this, most of my criticisms hinge around the Hall character and the ma- major plot stuff, which we'll talk about in a second. But in terms of the high school stuff and the John Hughes stuff, which is more or less successful, Zendaya is held back by a script that doesn't give her much of a character play, to play, besides the girl, which I thought was really weird, especially in the post-feminist Me Too, blah, blah, blah era. Women are supposed to have three-dimensional characters to play and not just play the girl but she really did display the girl. And she has one she character played the girl, trait.
1: She, she's the girl who's not the typical girl. Right. That's the one thing that's interesting about her is she's not the typical girl.
0: Which is fun as far as it goes. She's kind of dark and emo and Peter thinks that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think in the movie, a literal line of dialogue is she's really dark.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I, th- I think what I said the other day when we were talking about this is true. What does ring true about Peter being attracted to her apart from knowing really much of anything about her? us knowing much of anything about her is there are exactly two people in the whole high school cast yeah. that wear masks, mm-hmm. right? Flash doesn't wear a mask. Flash is a rich jerk. Ned is a is a big adorkable nerd. Lovable oaf, yeah. The lovable oaf. They they all play the, they all are just who they are. Like, and they, they can't not be who they are. Ned can't not be Ned. And that's part of what's fun about Ned is Ned's gonna Ned. Right. Like Flash is gonna flash. Peter's wearing a mask, he's got something that he's hiding, and MJ's wearing a mask. Right. And so she has this element of mystery, and that's what, at least from an objective on paper, psychological, that's why they work as a couple, or why they're attracted
0: to each other. Right. Well, the other thing that really works well on paper is the fact that in high school, don't have to know anything about a girl to she's cute crush on her <laughs> that's <Yeah>. right <laughs> and, well and she's interesting i mean cute yeah. cute yes guys she, are animals and men are pigs and all that and we are attracted to people because they're cute but part of cute is also interesting she's yeah, interesting absolutely. she's she seems she's the
1: smartest they're the two smartest kids in the room right they're the two that have something to hide
0: and she's kind of onto him but so that's conceptually fine great ideas all didn't quite work for me because we as an audience never get to know zendaya very well. And it kept me back, I think, a little bit from investing in the romance because she really was, from for the purposes of me, the viewer, she really was just the basically the object of Peter's affection. And I never quite knew who she was or why. I will compare that to the original Spider-Man trilogy with what's his face? What is the name of the guy that plays Spider-Man? Toby Maguire Toby Maguire and Kirsten yeah. Dunst. Kirsten Dunst plays a very two-dimensional girl next door classic the girl that we all pine over character but they
1: give you the scene where she comes out to take out the trash and there's yelling inside the house and right and so she's, she's a, crying she's a cliche
0: and... she's a stereotype but she's placed for me i know how to feel about her i know who she is basically she's a type she's not real well developed but i know okay this is the character and this is i'm basically get what she's all about and why peter's what their romance is going to look like, what their mm-hmm. relationship is, how they connect—they're both such and such. Zendaya, we actually never find that out. I don't know whether she's a rich girl. I don't know whether she's maybe there's is there, are there any clues in Homecoming? I don't think so.
1: No, there's no clues. She is just the—we don't even know that she's MJ.
0: Right, right. She's just like the sarcastic.
1: This, hey, why you? She's the one that notices when you're ogling the pretty rich girl.
0: Well, that pretty rich girl in the first one is actually an interesting contrast because I'm not going to say she's a masterpiece of screenwriting. like She's the most well-developed, awesome character, but I know where she comes from. I feel her story. She's the villain's daughter. It's sad. And I bought into that romance. Like I was ready for Peter to make it work with her, Mm -hmm. even though she wasn't somebody from the comics. Zendaya, more charismatic actress, and carries a lot of the story on her back just through that. But they don't give me an emotional hook into who this character is. That's what I really think I needed was I don't need a three dimensional fleshed out, perfectly written character necessarily, but I just needed a hook to sort of understand who, we're, who are we dealing with here and why. And I think maybe they were being too clever. I think maybe they didn't want to give me that because I mean, I don't know why they didn't. Maybe. But I, I don't actually I don't think it was just, they were just being lazy. I think that they actually thought like, well, you've seen that a dozen times a thousand times if you've grown up on john hughes movies and stuff you don't you don't really need to know
1: and you've seen it in spider-man movies yeah
0: who cares fill it fill in the blanks for yourself it's mj come on
1: yeah At At least... it's not it's not the mj that you oh, what's interesting about her is she's not the mj that you know
0: right but i felt like they were almost kind of relying on me bringing some of the cachet or some of my understanding of the mj i did know and i actually wasn't prepared to do that because she felt different enough that I just didn't buy in, and it's kind of a minor complaint. Like the romance, all the beats—it's still cute. It works. It's funny. You'll laugh. You'll cry. But when they spoiler alert finally embrace at the end, it didn't quite have the kick that I wanted it to or expected it to.
1: At a certain point, when all you—it's—it's sort of like Ryan, what Ryan Johnson did with Star Wars. Like all, if all MJ is is a deconstruction of MJ, this MJ doesn't like to go swinging through the city. Mm. You know, this MJ instead of being the the sweet, sincere girl next door is the sarcastic girl from wherever. Right. (laughs) Like, (laughs) instead of being a white girl with red hair, she's, you know, she's black or mixed or whatever Zendaya actually is. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic way of putting it because it's like, okay, I get what she's not, but...
1: Yeah, it's all about what she's not. What is she? I'm not sure. I mean, she's pretty and charismatic. Yeah, and... Charming in her way as a, you know, she has... A cute little little way of flipping her hair or cocking her head to the side or, you know, narrowing her, her eyes at Peter.
0: Right. Like, and she makes sarcastic throwaway comments. But even there, I'm not sure what the perspective of the movie is on those on her little quippy, dark sense of humor. Am I supposed to think that that's charming? Am I supposed to think, oh, that's just a silly emo kid? Like, is it supposed to be a mix? Like, how did the filmmakers yeah. feel about M.J.? saying that she preferred dead people and, corp- you know, like silly goth things that kids say. Yeah. She says a number of those. And I'm not sure whether the movie approves of that or not. Yeah, And I think it probably does, because if it didn't, it would point it out, probably. But it's just weird that they didn't do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Especially in, you know, today's day and age when women, blah, blah, blah. So that's MJ. That's, uh, if everything else worked in the movie, I think that's actually a pretty minor thing which you'd think would be major but it basically the char- the characters and the dynamics and the stuff is relatable and you'll you can kind of fill in the blanks with stuff from your own high school it works yeah but what doesn't work for me is Ned and his girl we should just say oh those hilarious really funny and fun yeah funny fun unexpected cute fun really successful uh okay the movie has how do we get talking about this it has, well, okay, so... Jake, it has daddy issues. It's got daddy issues. Yeah, that's probably the simplest way of putting it. So the Marvel Cinematic Universe continues to be ambivalent at best, hateful at worst towards dads.
1: So if you think about it from in a just like a basic objective, okay, we're going to tell the, Spider-Man, the next Spider-Man story after, and it's the first story after Endgame. The idea of, okay, let's have a movie where... Peter deals with the demons of Tony Stark. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, the it's... ghost of Tony Stark. He's haunted by the ghost of Tony Stark, the demons of Tony Stark. Right. That's a great idea. Let's, what would be a smart way to do that? Let's have actual externalized Tony Stark demons. Right. That he has to battle as he's dealing with his internal demons. Let's have him deal with them externally. Oh, and that also is has really great echoes to the kind of thing that Tony's arc has often been about, which is, he lived this life that was horrible as an arms dealer and whatever else, who is a selfish, narcissistic, whatever. And every step along the way, he created these these demons who are coming back to haunt him. Well, and even he was his, gonna put,
0: his, the legacy of his father as kind of the Walt Disney of warmongers and him having to rise above that or decide how to deal with that, decide what was good about his dad, what was bad about his dad, what was good about what he did. What, what's good about himself. Right.
1: And what needs to die in himself. And as he's processing all of that, he's dealing with these people that he or his dad or whoever else, his company has burned.
0: I'll tell you who else I had to deal with that was Peter Quill in Garden of Galaxy 2, where his dad ended up being a rather controversial figure. And his other dad ended up being a rather controversial, but, but more positive figure. I'll tell you who else I had to deal with that was Black Panther, who discovered that the king... What's Tchaka? What's what's Tchaka? T- is it Tchaka that I actually killed? Tchaka that right? actually killed his brother. Killed his brother and was morally and, ambiguous and,
1: and swept it under the table. Well, and, and the
0: whole legacy of how his dad is had run the kingdom and how the previous fathers had run the kingdom before a, him.
1: Yeah, he had to process that, right?
0: I'll tell you who else had to deal with that. I don't actually have another one, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there probably is. Well, Thor. Thor, of course. Thor, his dad sucked, and uh, was, and
1: then his dad changed, and or did he? Well, and yeah. then his
0: dad, literal demons that he had hidden... Away on the uh, other side of the gal- uh, uh, the universe. And right, and now his dad is dead and Kate Blanchett is... Sh- she's here she de- comes. and You're going to have to deal with the demons of my past, right. son. Good luck. The legacy of our you're fathers. you all that. Yeah. yeah. And so
1: here it is telling that exact same story again, mm-hmm. but with the cachet of Tony Stark's name attached to it, which is right. now, you know... The, now
0: he's the father that... He's we, the
1: father that has left behind his own demons... And so you have all of these characters that have all been one, at one time or another burned by Tony Stark in the movies that we've actually seen. Right. Right? So you've got the main character, Jake Gyllenhaal. It, he he showed up in Civil, civil, War. civil War. Yeah, he civil developed War. the... the uh... He developed the technology that Tony Stark renamed BARF. Mm-hmm. He resented that, you know, and that was like just a gimmick at the start of that movie. Right. Then he fired him for being unstable tony fired him yeah tony fired him and now you know he's the main villain and he's rounded up this cast of other people who have been burned one way or another Mm -hmm. including the chief engineer of stark industries from the very first iron man movie the very first movie in the mcu who was there with uh what's his face his character
0: oh uh uh, jeff uh Jeff jeff bridges yeah
1: yeah and so you know these are the externalized demons and they they resent everything about Tony Stark and they resent everything about the superhero industry. Mhm. And they're going to the, the smartest guys in the room and they're going to take it over and they're going to run a who knows what they're going to do. Oh,
0: they're that's do that was one of my big big problems with the movie and this isn't so much a moral problem as a plot problem, although I think they're always kind of related in these films, but I didn't really understand what Jake Gyllenhaal's ultimate end game, haha, end game was. I didn't Quentin Beck. Quentin Beck. Him. Yes, I didn't understand. Quentin, great name for a villain. Great in my name opinion. for a slimy, undermining villain.
1: Sorry to all of you out there named Quentin, but
0: yeah, it's true. It is true. I didn't really understand what he was after, and I thought that that just felt like a hastily written screenplay kind of thing, or it felt lazy or something. I like I.
1: Well, the best best way, the best spin is he's got a few screws loose, and mm-hmm. you see that, you know. He says that he was fired by Tony Stark for being unstable. Right. For one. For two, we see him all of a sudden train all of his drones on like his people. Right. Uh, He's ready to pull the trigger and kill them all on a whim because they displease him. And, you know, we see that sort of instability in him. At the end of the day, he's just a vengeance bound.
0: Yeah, but he's also smart and smarmy and played as the smartest guy in the room. J- Hall is actually not somebody that i think you would usually think to hire to play a pure psychopath Smart, yeah you would think to i think to p- play kind of a smarmy sharp kind of a guy which is what he does and so if the movie was trying to be ambiguous then i think a movie always needs to be clear about when it's being a, 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 ambiguous as uh, one of the principles of storytelling is uh be ambiguous clearly like I am now being ambiguous. Your audience needs to know that. So if we weren't supposed to know, like, is this guy a psychopath or does he have a really smart evil plan? Then the movie needs to tell us that's the dilemma. Yeah. As it was, I could never really figure out, is this guy really smart and he's willing to push aside some human lives in order to establish what he thinks is a great idea, which is for him to be a superhero and for the world to... For him to be the next Tony Stark, basically, that's one way to read it. Another way to read it is he's just a terrible person who is destructive and doesn't mind killing people and just wants to take revenge on the world because Tony Stark's screwed him over, basically.
1: Yeah, I think I think the, the best way to read it, and it's not there clearly in the film, the best way to read it is he thinks that he deserved all of the advantages in life right. that Tony Stark had and resented him because he knows that Tony... Sucked as a person, and right. he knows that Tony didn't deserve to be memorialized as some great hero. He just happened to be the right guy in the right time in the right place, and it
0: shouldn't have been him because he's a jerk. Right. And so, just pure jealousy and pure anger and bitterness. Uh, but then, I don't know, it, it, he's just not a very consistent character in the way he's written. He's oftentimes pretty smart, but then he'll make these dumb mistakes, like when he psychotically finally, quote unquote, kills Peter and does it in a very non definitive way
1: not gonna find not gonna establish the body
0: yeah the guy the character as he'd been played up to that point seemed smarter than that yeah and actually that was another problem with this screenplay You, you never want a screenplay where the audience is really just clearly ahead of you and you never want a screenplay well it's not so much that the audience can't be ahead of the filmmaker actually what you don't want is for them to feel like they're ahead of the characters so if Peter is anticipating the same things that we're anticipating and reacting as quickly as he can and reacting as quickly as we think we'd react, that's one thing. But if Peter, who's supposed to be smart and is supposed to be the audience surrogate, is asked to do things that are a little dumber than what Peter would do and, and a little dumber than what, I, than what I might do or you might do, mm-hmm. then I think that's a problem. And this movie has that. And it's unfortunate because he basically he trusts in Jake Gyllenhaal's character. He gives him the Tony Stark tech. That Tony has willed only to Peter, and I just didn't buy it. I saw what they were going for. I got the idea. The idea was what that that he did that he wanted someone to give it to. Yeah, and he wanted he was ready to trust the next.
1: He just wanted the next father figure to be that stand-in. He didn't want the responsibility. He just wanted to be a kid who was in love with a girl on a summer trip with his high school classmates, and he wanted he wanted to believe the lie. Right, and. That is what how they wrote it and they in what they tried to communicate. Hall says over and over again, people believe what they want to believe. People believe what you tell them to believe. Right.
0: And But it was almost a, t- a uh, case of they told us instead of uh, showed us almost like, now I am friends with you, Jake Gyllenhaal. Now I really respect you. Yes, Peter, you do respect me. We kind of had scenes, obviously they weren't that dumb, but yeah. scenes where they said these things to each other.
1: Well, you know, and some of it was honestly set up I mean he was not stupid.
0: Peter, you mean, or Gyllenhaal?
1: Hall? Quentin Hall, Quentin Beck was not stupid. It, Nick Fury was bumbling. Right. At every point he stepped in with the, you know, the right suave, compassionate, fatherly right thing and you are dealing with an orphan right who has lost his uncle and has lost his now third father figure mm-hmm. in Tony Stark and here's, you know, a great big aching hole there.
0: Yeah, they just didn't quite make me feel here here's an idea. Let me let me pitch a, a way to patch up this screenplay. Obviously it's always you should you should really should criticize the movie they made, not the movie they could have made, but I'm gonna go ahead and criticize the movie they could have made, or at least pitch a movie they could have made. Let's say a Ferris wheel is a the monster's rampaging a Ferris wheel is about to fall on Zendaya and a bunch of cute kids, and Quentin Beck whoosh rescues her. Now we as an audience and Peter as a character, we have this emotional and this visual symbol of how trustworthy and awesome Quentin Beck is and how much we like him and how our hearts go out to him and how fatherly he seems. They literally did that. Did they do that? They literally
1: had the scene where Ned and his girlfriend were on the Ferris wheel and Peter couldn't save them. And yeah, I guess they Quentin did. Beck swept in. I guess you're right. Stopped what he was doing fighting the monster on the other front and swept in and protected Peter and his friends on the Ferris wheel while fending off the monster all at once.
0: Well am I crazy Okay, great. They and
1: they 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 literally did what you did. Movie one Nathan Zero. But (laughs) why didn't I feel it? Why I don't even remember that. I, I don't know. I I I don't think that they
0: really sold that moment. Yeah, just sell it. As as well as they could have, for sure. Like I think of the moment where uh, ben Affleck is running through Gotham as it falls up to pieces in yeah. in Superman. And you suddenly feel like, oh, here's a father. Here's like a patriarch. Here's Dude, a father figure yeah. who's like, and, and they do the most cheesy audience jerking thing of having a adorable little Moppet of a girl and some rubble's about to fall on her. And he runs through the smoke and grabs her. He's
1: the guy that is, and really was like, we're going to play with 9-11 imagery. Right. Here, here's the firefighter. Here are the heroes in the city when everything's coming down. Here's the one guy who's running into the smoke and the chaos. Right, He's going to save the little girl. Like everything about that was as like, you could say it was as ham-fisted, as over the top, as sentimental as you could want it to be. But that's why it worked.
0: Yeah. Well, and we didn't have the equivalent moment with uh, Mysterio. Even though, he, I guess he did, re, you're right, he rescued Ned, but I guess maybe it's because Ned's just kind of goofy enough that I never really felt all that, like, come on, they're not going to kill Ned. I don't know, I don't know.
1: They're not going to kill MJ either. They're not going to well, call
0: him. Well, with MJ, at least it's like, this is a vastly important They're not going to kill Zendaya. No, yet. not yet. I don't know, I just... Um, didn't quite work for me i did not buy that peter would be prepared to just completely trust and love this man who he'd spent a total of maybe less than 10 minutes of screen time and not that much more movie time with
1: well the other the other thing that you can give here is that nick fury trusts no one and nick Mm. fury trusts quentin beck and that would make it easier for
0: that would make it easier i think if Peter had an established relationship with Nick Fury, and Peter knew that Nick Fury, like I don't feel much of a connection between Peter and Nick Fury, so I'm not sure that that mattered as much just in emotional terms, even though again, conceptually that makes sense and helps with the plot point. Mm-hmm. But
1: well, they did a lot of things like that to help conceptually with the plot point. Even the Tony's message to Peter could be read two different ways. Right was another thing that they did. They designed that on purpose so that there could be one more, maybe he trusted me, not with Edith, but to choose who. Right.
0: Which makes sense. I, I don't know. It just felt like a little bit more elbow grease there. And there was just a number of other moments in the movie. There was Zanzaya's character, which we've talked about. There were plot points like the fact that when Peter gets the glasses back, it doesn't, they're just ready to reactivate for him, which yeah. felt which felt cheap. Like, did feel this cheap. should be a huge third act problem that you have to solve: is how to get these glasses control of them back. Control of them back now that you've seated it. A huge plot point that you seated it should be a huge plot point that you get it back. So there's just a lot. There, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal killing Spider-Man and then not checking for a body and making it easy for Spider-Man to recover and come back.
1: Uh, having the line be "Shall I execute something something protocols? Mm-hmm. Yes, execute them all. Right. It's like this is like what's the how do we frame this in such a way that Quentin Beck can take a snippet of it and make it
0: look terrible right like that's just that's bad writing well so but movies have plot problems they have bad writing I think the reason I'm harping on this the reason that it struck me and the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I don't think it bodes well for Marvel this movie basically works and it doesn't just basically works it really works it's a fun Movie. it's a
1: good movie it's a good
0: movie i recommend it but what works about it at the end of the day is the fact that they have this really charismatic group of people and they basically stay out of the way but what they haven't done is actually... and they have a really good action choreography team yes they do the action's good and... the
1: third act so the third act is basically all Marvely action and mm-hmm. it's it's good action for marvel
0: yeah i think if you're tired of the whole zippy cgi Stuff. This is some of the better zippy CGI stuff we've now, seen.
1: you you may you may just get tired of it watching it because mm-hmm. you may just be like you know what was actually cool was the John Husey you know our character our beloved characters interacting with each other now we just have to see a bunch of yeah I mean I did a little CGI bit CGI I'm, I'm a
0: grumpy old man I think most people will probably enjoy just it. just enjoy it yeah. yeah but the reason that I want to kind of harp on these plot points is because like, like for example Dark Knight Rises has plot problems. And it's like, who cares? Batman somehow got from the hole back to the city. Doesn't really matter. We're wrapping the story up. There's not going to be any more Batman movies. It is what it is. It, the parts of it that work, work. The parts of it that don't, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, there, And there's lots of movies, entertaining little movies that are like that, or entertaining big movies that are like that. In this case, I want to hold them accountable. I want to hold their feet to the fire. Because I think what's going to happen is things aren't going to be as charming in other movies Things may not be as charming with this cast. At a certain point, the charm, you cannot, you know, man does not, story does not live on charm alone. When that starts to wear off, then you got a Men in Black 2 type situation on your hands. Yeah. Or even uh, the parts of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 that don't work. It's yeah. a movie that's coasting, trying to coast on charm that isn't there because it doesn't have a screenplay that's actually doing the work because the filmmakers haven't actually put in the work of figuring out the story that they want to tell. And how it works. And I think there was too much of that in Endgame. I think looking back... There's
1: way too much of it in Endgame. Way too much. It drives me crazy.
0: Well, and looking back now on the complete three-phase opus, there was just too much of it in general. Mm -hmm. And it didn't become clear until you could kind of hindsight 2020 it. And I think my prophecy, my prediction is that that... Could well be the downfall of of what we like about Marvel is they're good at building charm. Now, what they've managed to do for ten years now, here's the here's the good the counter argument is every time it looks like that's gonna happen, you know, they Age up of, with
1: something fresh. Age of
0: Ultron came out. They're coasting on the charm of Whedon's Avengers that we really liked. The movie's not quite there. The structure's not there. The plot's not there. The story the story just isn't there. We're all tired of Marvel. Ugh, do I need to see another one of these? Then what? Guardians came out. Guardians 1. Guardians
1: comes out and they fire Whedon and they discover the Russo brothers. They, t- they
0: swerve. You basically and... have the one-two punch of Guardians 1 and Winter Soldier. And those are both legit Fresh. good movies, well-constructed, not just relying on the charm of stuff that's already been done. Yep. And okay. so every time that, a grumpy old person like me has been has said, Oh man, they're just starting to coast on their ride their laurels and they've got
1: now they've got two blockbuster properties that they can play with that that have been thrown into their sandbox as they've as they and they can as they as they need to shed things that feel old and stale mm-hmm. they have these new properties and they can bring in new directors and new people to bring fresh blood to this whole thing they can do it they i mean they've got all of the X-Men and right. they've got the Fantastic Four and you, know, you can say like, well, I always hated X-Men and I never got into X-Men. I never thought X-Men was cool. Fine. Who cares? Did you know who Iron Man was right. before they did Iron Man? Did you ever care about the Incredible Hulk before the first Avengers movie? Mm-hmm. Did you ever like care about Thor or know who Thor was? Like, mm-hmm. no, they, they built this thing out of the scrap pile and then they... Got to add Spider-Man to it, and now they get to add in these other properties with with whole new characters with you know sixty, eighty years worth of of storylines and character development. They could take any number of directions they want to, right? And so, I mean, yeah, they can save it, but I think that they're saving it really hinges on the direction that they take
0: morally, and, right? And that's the other big problem with this movie, or at least absolutely the other big harbinger of doom in this movie absolutely is that this movie okay so we have a really a tearjerker scene of happy and peter having a nice conversation about tony yeah and peter seeing tony's legacy live on or no happy seeing tony's legacy live on through peter as peter designs the suit and we play back in black yeah great That scene unfortunately exists somewhat in isolation yes the movie's dealing on a plot level with tony's death but we never really refute Jalen Hall's points all that much, we
1: can't actually that scene even goes with happy even goes so far as to validate them. Mm-hmm. Tony couldn't live up to being Tony. Tony was a mess,, which is fine. I
0: get that we that's are, an important uh, yeah. that's a good
1: conversation to have with a kid if his dad dies at sixteen, sure right like, and he feels like he can't live up to his dad. It's like you know he, he actually can't live, it's like what you once said at any funeral, Mm -hmm. right, is not this like deification of this person, but this acknowledgement that, you know, for however great they were to however many people, they had their flaws, they were a mess. They they
0: don't live up to, you know. And Marvel's had a nice line in that for a while, and I don't mind the individual plots of Black Panther or Guardians 2 or any number of movies that basically have the same, well, your dad kinda sucked, but he was also your dad and he was also pretty cool Yeah, plot point. I don't mind that being the plot point of a lot of movies. I think that's actually what a lot of people are dealing with. That's in the zeitgeist, right? We are a father-hungry generation.
1: It's also just, well, it's not just, come on, Adam fell. Right. Yeah. All the way back. David slept with Bathsheba.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Fathers fail. Read Hebrews 11 and count up the number of horrible things done by those dudes.
1: Yeah. Fathers fail. Mm -hmm. Fathers fail, fathers fail, fathers fail. Only one father doesn't fail. That's part of everybody's story and something that everybody has to come to terms with in their own way, the failures of their father. So to keep telling that story over and over again, that story is not going to grow old. But when your way of telling that story goes from father's fail to father's suck.
0: Yeah. To, we should insulate ourselves from fathers by mocking them and basically keeping them out of our lives. Our teachers are all buffoons. Bumbling buffoons. And they're funny. And,
1: and we've said earlier that they were realistic buffoons, but come on, at the end of the day, it's not the individual pieces. Right. It's the collective whole that you have to take into consideration. So, yeah, are there bumbling fools as father figures all over the place? Yeah. Is mm. Homer Simpson, does he resonate for a reason? Yeah. Of course. But when every TV dad is a bumbling fool mm-hmm. and when every father figure in a movie is a bumbling fool. Right.
0: And this movie's got...
1: The best father figure in this movie is Happy. And he's an idiot. And he's a
0: bumbling idiot. He's got less dignity. He's been losing dignity with every movie that he's been in since the original Iron Man. And I get that. When you have a character whose trait is anything, if his trait is smarminess, there's a tendency to try and top yourself. And so a smarmy character tends to become more smarmy as a series, as a TV show, as a movie goes. A buffoonish character, you look at Homer Simpson in the first couple seasons of The Simpsons, and he's actually kind of a plausible good dad. He got stupider and more psychotic as time went on because they kept topping themselves. And so that happens. I get that. I, I get the tendency for happy to become more slapstick and more the butt of the joke. But man, he really only has one scene in this movie where he's given any Got dignity gravity. and other than that he's just basically in the way
1: or the guy who's hitting on aunt may
0: yeah or gross or stupid or lame and then you have tony stark whose legacy is questionable at best and who's well
1: demons- you know what his legacy is this whole group of in this movie his legacy is this whole group of angry bitter people who are going to destroy the world right or take it over or whatever it is they're going to do
0: and it feels like the narrative, that the meta-narrative that they're drawing on is not the story of a good father who's imperfect, who's sinful, you know, David. The meta-narrative that they seem to be drawing on is the narrative of the liberal left, of George Washington actually owned slaves and we should take the mural down. Yeah. General Lee was, well, again, he owned slaves. <laughs> you know, Christopher Columbus brought Genocide to the Native Americans. Actually, everybody that you've been taught was a great father was stupid and left behind destruction in their wake.
1: Yeah, and so in in some way, you know, this really does continue. It, it affirms what what we said about in game. Yeah,
0: I want to say if this was just a one off, we actually wouldn't be as concerned.
1: No, but this is the like this is the postscript right mm-hmm. to the to all of Phase Three, and and we don't we don't. Often, we don't comment on this sort of thing in movies a lot because, you know, in a one-off, whatever. But, I mean, man, does it establish the reality that, yeah, we're moving into yeah Peter can't become a father like Tony was a father. Right. Peter's got to do something different and something new. He's going to leave behind just as many demons and it's going to be just as bad. And it's going to be, it's all yin and yang sort sort of right sorts of things
0: you put this with endgame and so endgame taught you that captain america needs to be selfish and put his own yep. issues first thor is a drunken bum loser who seeds his kingdom because he's actually not worthy to be a king all of our saviors and christ figures are people like captain marvel yep and the women and if scarlett Johansson's going to die for us she's not going to let hawkeye even if he wants to Yep, so she's, she's
1: going to be the blood sacrifice at the center of the movie.
0: The one hero of that movie, the one great father figure who dies for it's us. The all. last great father figure mm-hmm. of the Marvel of the
1: whole MCU, and that's kind of what they said. Yep, that's what this movie says. Is yep, he was the last great father figure of this Marvel Cinematic Universe, and also kind of sucked. He
0: sucked. Yeah, <laughs> which I get that that's a resonant theme. I I understand processing your own father's failures is something that we all do, and. It's going to be a powerful part of any storytelling, really. I mean, what story isn't about that on some level? Uh, It's maybe a little hyperbolic, but not much. But when that's all you're doing and when you're aggressive about it and when all the little side characters are buffoons or fools or idiots or comic relief, when there's really nobody.
1: Yeah, well, then you start, I mean, come on. This movie was a meta commentary on the whole MCU. Right. Here comes Quentin Beck, and he's this father figure. Mm Mm-hmm. That is going to swoop in and he's sort of, you know, it, it's just, a, it's like, let's have a meta commentary on the father figure as a superhero and all of our superhero fatigue and our cynicism. Well, they've already... Let's have it all meet in Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Yeah, they've already done it. Yeah, they do it all the time.
0: But, the fact but that now they let's do it, do it th- again to, you know, and... Well, it feels suspicious to me that they, it's like, you make one or two of those, it's fine, but... Guess what? Homecoming, same thing. Guess what? The you know, in Homecoming, the people on the ground as represented by Michael Keaton's character were hurt and they didn't get to profit from this and Stark Industries came in and screwed them over. And Tony yep. Stark is complicated and morally ambiguous. He's also somebody who in that movie can rise above it and be a good father, discipline Peter. Even in doing that, he says, oh, "I remind myself of my dad," you know. Yep. Tony's Tony's commenting on his own Yep, frailty as a father Yep, but Tony does it although the lesson is that Tony was just waiting for Peter it's the same dumb lesson we get in every movie which is you know what your dad really wants you to do is disobey and be prove more... that your your dad really wants you to go to the dance and show off your moves even though he was telling you not to dance the whole time he'll show up and he'll clap and you'll prove yourself it's like it's, yeah. it's just the same formula which is Hashtag Kevin Bacon. Hashtag Kevin Bacon has some truth in it, you know? I mean, I I put it in the worst way possible. I think we could recast it as a son has to differentiate, a son has to grow, a father wants to. Yeah, it is realistic. it is like,
1: I'll tell the the first realistic story of that that came to my mind. My favorite IU basketball player of all time, Victor Oladipo, second or uh, first generation American. His parents came here from Africa, doctors, Mm -hmm. wanted him to be a doctor. His dad refused to support his career in basketball, refused to support him coming to IU to play on basketball scholarship, refused to go to any of his games. Any of them. Never went to any of his games. He went to the NBA, was drafted second overall, is an all star. And I think finally in the last year or two, his dad came to the first game right. and is proud of his son finally. Right. You know, like at least that's the story that ESPN likes to tell. Right. Because it's, you know. That kind of thing. The point being, that is a thing that happens.
0: Right, but I'll tell you what else happens is sons disobey their fathers and then they die or everything goes poorly for them.
1: Exactly. That's a one. Those, those stories are often the one in a million type of stories.
0: Yeah, like, more often the people that love their fathers, that obey their fathers, are the happy, healthy people that build societies and are awesome. And where are the movies? About that. The best we can do is a kind of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. You find your own fathers in the weird. You build
1: your own family.
0: You build your own family. I think James Gunn, in all his sick perversity, is the person most in touch with the power of family, which is why those movies kind of work. But it's always about. The actual family, the actual organization, the actual structure or society that you came from screwed oh, you over, suck. raped you, killed you, whatever, sold made, you out, sold you out, made killed you, your mom, made you into a mutilated, damaged raccoon person. And what you need to do is find your own family, family. and then you can learn Full of to other them.
1: broken people like you. And right. Maybe together you can process your brokenness together and find some healing.
0: And even that, there's truth in it. What 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 is the church? I mean, well, yeah. But the church is a family
1: for sinners who can't make it on their own. And it's a refuge for people who had no.
0: But there is also in the church, a father, Father God, who you may not choose to reject. And,
1: and when you do, it will never go well for
0: you. Right. And the reality is there are fathers in your lives who you may not choose to reject or disobey. And there are yep. points in your life where you have fathers earth or authority figures that you may not. And even when to, it seems
1: to go well for you, mm-hmm. when you reject your father and your father's God, and then you go off and you make a million dollars and feel like you're being successful, there will be a day of
0: reckoning that comes for you. Right. And the good stories reflect this. Yep. And I think one of the things that we've been learning since we've done the booking and now sanity at the movies, and the, the more we talk about narrative, the more I see how inextricably linked morality is to quality storytelling the things that make us emotional that make us that move us that make us feel invested in a story are the things about a story that represent the world as god made it they ring true they ring true and the more marvel gets away from these things the more principled they become about moving away from those things the less their movies will ring true and i think ultimately the less successful and money-making they will be I think absolutely I think just like the fact that nobody's as excited about this third Star Wars movies, maybe a couple grumpy social justice warriors are excited about the third Star Wars movie, but lost last Jedi really did it ruined it 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 lost a lot of credibility, and not just for misogynists on the internet that hated Ray and hated haldo and but just for people that like good stories, that movie didn't work, and maybe they didn't know why, maybe they didn't think about why but a lot of it was the moral content of the way that Ryan Johnson and Kathleen Kennedy look at the world, yeah. And it just simply doesn't make you feel things. And you go to stories because you want to feel things. And when people are lying to you, you may not know that it's a lie, but what you will know is what you will notice is that your heart, your subconscious, your your Jungian, uh unconscious, whatever you don't you don't feel the right things.
1: Yeah, what you might feel is validated in your sin mm-hmm. or in your rebellion against God. Right. But what you don't feel is this is real. This right. is true. And so there are, there's a whole you know, a lot of the movie making industry is playing close enough to truths that you feel things while also having all of the lies that you want to believe validated. And that's basically the sweet spot of movie making.
0: Yeah. And Hollywood, Hollywood. has existed for that sweet spot as long as Hollywood has been around. The thing is they don't exist in a vacuum, and these things tend to move, and people tend to grow, and organizations tend to grow, and they, they 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 just never stay the same. And when when you look at something like Marvel, you see them moving in this direction, you see them stiltifying in this direction, you see them becoming more and more this. You see a real end game, yeah. And the end game is no more Marvel, no more money, no yeah. more gravy train, because it's not just conservative grumps like us that won't like the movies when they abandon. It's everybody. It's everybody. Yep. So. That's the forecast. But Until
1: they come back with uh Professor Xavier. Mm-hmm. Who is the father figure of the X Men and he's a good father figure.
0: Yeah, probably they'll manage to straddle the line forever and will me and Jake will die and still be giving our cash to this stupid thing.
1: And shaking our canes while we and do shaking it. Shaking
0: our canes while we do it. <laughs> 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 but I don't know. If you told me that Star Wars would feel this close to extinction in my lifetime, I never would have believed you. Yeah. And man. Kids aren't as excited about it. My kids don't care about it. Yeah. and They really don't. You know, you reap what you sow. I just think these behemoth franchises may feel like they can't fall to pieces, but.
1: My kids, if you were to go to my house and say, hey, let's watch a Star Wars movie. Any Star Wars movie you want. They'd be like, uh, Mm
0: -hmm. no thanks. That's too bad. And this has been your bi-weekly. Is that every other week? Is that bi-weekly? This has been your bi-weekly depressing forecast of the end of all civilization, also known as Sanity at the Movies. Jake, would you recommend Spider-Man Far From Home? Yeah. Yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just know what you're watching.
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing you have to understand in listening to this podcast. The, the meta-narrative of this podcast is we're not saying you can't be entertained by some of this stuff on some level when it's not too degrading or wicked, but you just need to understand what it is you're eating and what's nutritious about it and what's not nutritious about it and watch your diet. Uh yeah, but this is a fun movie.
1: Second yeah. Spider-Man movie with porn references.
0: What were the porn references?
1: Wait, stay right there. Tell me something that only Happy would know. That only you would know.
0: Yeah. Hows unfortunate. Yep. Yep. Little grooming behavior from your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man movies ranked. I'd say
1: does that have some more sexual in in you in this one? Yeah. The eh, well, There's I, the whole thing where there are a couple of things.
0: There's one of those dumb things scenes there's, there's that always two... happen in movies where somebody catches somebody else in a compromising position that looks like they were going to do something sexual, but really they weren't. And
1: Yep. And then, then there's another scene where it's a similar scenario, but actually there is sexual tension.
0: Right. That's unfortunate. But Spider-Man movies ranked, personally, I would say, I've not seen it for a long, long time, but Spider-Man 2... Still might be my favorite. That might just be nostalgia. I really remember liking that movie. No, it holds up.
1: It holds up. It should be in the top three. I would put Spider-Man 2, Homecoming, and Spider-Verse in the top three. Those would
0: absolutely be the top three. And I think the way that I would rank them personally would be uh, neck and neck between Spider-Man 2 and Homecoming. And then Spider-Verse for me a little bit behind. I'm guessing most people would do something like Spider-Verse, Homecoming, Spider-Man 2. I I think that's what I would do, but... Oh, recency
1: bias and all that you know, yeah. should be taken into account.
0: A little bit of recency bias, but also I think there's some things that Spider Verse does that other that people like more than me, and those people are not wrong. It's just uh, there's some things about that movie that aren't quite my cup of tea, but it's a good movie. And then let's see, I'd say after that, Far From Home, maybe next. Yeah, might be number four in the Spider Man, not yeah. number four in the Marvel by any stretch, but no. in the Spider Man. Uh, and Spider-Man 1. Yeah, Spider-Man 1 with Tobey Maguire. And, and then, then the
1: Amazing Spider-Mans and then Spider-Man 3. Are we missing one? Two the Amazing Spider-Mans.
0: Yeah, I'd say Amazing Spider-Man would come after Spider-Man 1. So it'd we go Spider-Man 1, Amazing Spider-Man, and then, we, and then would it just be the- Amazing
1: th- 2 and Spider-Man 3. I'd probably put Spider-Man 3
0: above Amazing 2 because Amazing 2 was amazingly awful.
1: I would put Amazing 2 above Spider-Man 3 simply on the basis of which would I rather go back and watch. And I, I remember them both being awful, but the idea of watching Tobey Maguire disco down the street makes me so uncomfortable
0: that I would rather watch Amazing Spider-Man 2. You know, I think that might be my sp- my favorite <laughs> Spider-Man movie, actually. I think <laughs> the idea of Tobey Maguire going down the street rockets that movie straight to the top. <laughs> Too bad about all the Venom crap surrounding it.
1: Plus, Ben thinks it's the best of all time.
0: So, Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Well, it's too bad Ben wasn't here. He liked Spider-Man far from home, I can tell people. He probably shares our opinions about it. I think he does. I talked to him about it a little bit, and he seemed to share our opinions about it. Uh, he really liked it, though, which is saying something, because Ben's like, mm, Marvel's boring and played out, and shouldn't we be watching it quality. When,
1: when I talked to him, I think one of his criticisms was the same as mine, which is that it was probably one of those movies that on a first viewing, first mm-hmm. view, best view. Yes. Repeat viewings not
0: going to want to hold up as well. Yeah, which is really too bad. I, I wonder how many Marvel movies actually are like that. Obviously, those are the ones that just aren't that great to begin with, like with Captain Marvel but you're you're never going to watch that movie again, no yeah, no, no, of course not, but uh your 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 guardians and your Iron Man and your Captain Americas and your Avengers, certainly, they all have like little in jokes and things that you didn't catch the first time, and uh, emotionally resonant. I'd say most of those movies are probably pretty good on a second viewing, if not better on a second viewing, yep, but yeah, not so much this one maybe. That's good though. I mean, I don't know. I'll probably watch it again at some point in my life and I'll probably enjoy it. Uh, maybe, I'll watch it again. Is it gonna hit Netflix or am I, I to get no, that? No, dumb... you're gonna
1: have to be on Disney Plus. Um,
0: probably what I'll do is cancel my Netflix because who cares about Netflix these days and well yeah, everything just get... is leaving Netflix. Yeah, so. ex- exactly. You, know, you have fourteen thousand streaming services. If you want to watch Friends, you gotta go to the, the Friends service and
1: well, if you wanna watch Friends you, go you have to HBO. go to HBO Max. Which, which is... is different than HBO now, which is different than HBO Go. What's going to happen? And they're all in the twelve to I think Max is sixteen dollars, but it doesn't have. You'd think it's the mo- more expensive service, so it would just include all of the content from right. now and. It's go, also called it Max,
0: which makes it sound like it should include the maximum amount of content.
1: It's just Max because it it may actually quantity wise be the maximum amount of content because it's going to have like all the fresh prints and all of the friends and all of the like back catalog of stuff. Mm-hmm. But now, if you want that. Like if you're going to watch, you know, some of the HBO garbage, right? you're going to need HBO now, you're going to watch HBO go. That's when you can like, I think stream what is live on the channel. I don't, I don't remember exactly the di- distinctions, but it's different content parsed out over three different channels and all in the 12 to 16 or $18 dollar range.
0: Here's my prediction. I hadn't thought about this before, but nobody is going to short of really, really rich people are going to be able to pay for all these services. Which means that some of them need to rise to the top. So it would seem to me if they were smart like Or they're
1: going to go to aggregators. People are going to people are going to come in like the cable companies mm-hmm. and be like, Look, we will buy Yeah, that's we'll what- we'll buy a thousand subscriptions from we'll buy ten thousand subscriptions from you for this cut rate price, and then it's on us to sell them and then they'll put their packages together and will basically get cable packages except for Yay, streaming cable services. packages.
0: Exciting times yeah. ahead. That's 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 what's going to happen. Yeah, that's depressing.
1: And so you'll be able to subscribe individually to HBO Now or, you know, use like the Sling package or whatever, mm. you know, will be in place of Sling. Yeah,
0: Amazon Prime has been hamfistedly trying to move this direction in a the most dumb, terrible, visually unappealing way for years now. But whatever. Whatever, probably what they will get out of me is a lot of subscriptions for a month, followed by cancellations. Yeah, or just purchasing the content on your. I know iTunes is going away, but on some ver- variation of iTunes or Amazon, where well, I'll just pay I really for think, the thing that I actually want to watch.
1: I really think I. I was having a conversation with a bunch of friends about this not too long ago, and they're all like, "Like the consensus was we're going to give up on digital media altogether. We're going to go back to hard copies."
0: Nah. I don't. I think that the, your friends are a bunch of hipsters that don't know themselves. And the fact that convenience is still—it's
1: it's possible. It's possible. But you know, the idea of iTunes dies, mm-hmm. and oh, there was something that happened. I don't remember what it was. Oh, yeah. It's you bought. It's like a. Uh, it was. Uh, you see this thing happen actually in uh, the video gaming world, mm-hmm. where you buy a game and then uh, you buy it digitally, mm-hmm. and then they don't. Service the upgrades. Right. And then suddenly this game that you purchased you can't use anymore. Whereas if you simply had the hard copy, you could use it.
0: Yeah, I think the horrors of that will not outweigh the convenience of just having not right owning hard copy. I mean, once you've once you've gotten rid of your CDs and gone to or your records and gone to basically using Spotify, you're never going back. And it doesn't matter how much Spotify screws you around and is terrible. That
1: idea is just too convenient.
0: It's just too convenient.
1: And well, I mean, let's be honest. I will search on Apple TV for movies that I have up on the shelf on Blu-ray before I get up off my butt on the couch, go over, get the Blu-ray, put the Blu-ray in, and start fire up the Blu-ray oh, player and run the Blu-ray player.
0: I, I, I've I've wasted money before, and not I think consciously saying I don't want to go upstairs and get dig out the Blu-ray, but just forgetting that Blu-ray is even a thing and. Oh, I have this. Five, you know, five spending five bucks on something to rent it from Amazon, which, you know, we live in a decadent age, I guess, but sorry. but Well, the reality is, you know, I've made purchases on iTunes
1: that could someday just go away. Yeah. Even then.
0: Yeah, you'll be mad and you'll uh, write a letter to the editor and do a podcast about how mad you are. And then, and then you'll just be like, well, wait a
1: minute. You know what was I got that movie for 10 bucks and I got,
0: you know six or seven watches out of it and so you know is it that bad that it's gone Here, here's my slightly hyperbolic analogy no i don't think this is hyperbolic actually at all people die in horrible fiery plane crashes cars kill hundreds of people you see anybody arguing to go back to the buggy you know i mean yeah, yeah. there's there's good reasons to not drive cars the environment the death <laughs> or <horror, laughs> you know cars kill lots of people but They are really, really convenient. And our society is built on them. We have all said collectively that we are
1: more than willing to accept the risk.
0: Yeah. And I'm more than, and the annoyance like, oh, I get in my car, it is going to scream at me for not putting on my seatbelt because this is how cars are designed now. That's annoying. I wish it wasn't that way. Oh, well, I guess it's that way. I will either live with the annoyance or
1: I will comply.
0: Yeah. I think basically we've moved away from physical media when it comes to our entertainment and I don't think we're going back I think there may maybe if your friends really are decadent and again forgive me for using the word hipsters they will purchase records or own VHS's or
1: the records are a different thing like books are a different yeah,
0: thing yeah they they may do collector's items basically yeah but ain't nobody going back we, we as a society ain't going back that's you're what I'm saying you're not
1: gonna get a different quality of film on a blu-ray or 4k disc versus streaming 4k exactly it's just
0: It's going to be the same. Well, there you go. I hope people have enjoyed this little little (laughs) bonus episode tacked onto our Spider-Man episode. (laughs) Stream it, folks. Stream Spider-Man or you can buy the Blu-ray when it comes out. I miss special features. I always enjoyed special features. I hope they find a way to bring those into the streaming. I know Amazon and iTunes will sometimes sell you special features, but that's what I miss. And Netflix has occasionally dabbled with having commentaries that you can play on their stuff and things like that. But the the added value of something that you're gonna own i guess is 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 something that i personally miss but guess what i'm not gonna do is go back to any of that stuff just for that all right any more thoughts about streaming or spider-man far from homecoming or anything else there jake nope all right well thanks for listening to sanity at the movies folks as always produced by nathan executive produced by jake and nathan as are all fine warhorn products until next time even dead i'm the hero